you're listening to Get Gig Ready. If you're a music maker emerging or early in your career, or even a veteran looking to brush up on the basics, we're here to get you close to some amazing local talent to help amp up your skills. We're into the second half of the series, and we are continuing to talk to industry insiders, delving further into the business side of the industry, including right in the deep end today with Vichara Erasinghe, founder and director of Astral People. Astral People is a label that really focuses on the work of full-time musicians, and we're going to be talking a lot more about that on today's episode. Get Gig Ready is presented by City of Ride, Lane Cove Council, the Live Music Office, Music New South Wales, and 2SER, with support from Macquarie University. Our feature track this week is Always Happy by Last Thursday, which you're hearing right now. Hey guys, it's Ewan. Jono. Harry. Jasper. And Christian. From Last Thursday. Stick around and we'll hear more from them, as well as the full track at the end of the show. So Vic, let's dive right in that deep end. Could you tell us a little bit about what people might know you and Astral People from and what you do? Absolutely. So I am one of two directors of Astral People. My business partner is Tom Huggett. Um, We've been running Astral People for about nine and a half years now. It's crazy to think it's gone that long. Um, and so, look, there's there's two main sides of Astral People, but there are some other sort of, I guess, other facets of the company as well. Now, the two main sides are artist management. So we manage 12 Australian artists. Some of these artists include Winston Surfshirt, Cosmos Midnight, Milan Ring, Arno Faraji, Stephen, GL, Wave Racer, Basenji, and more. And then we also run an international touring site. We represent artists in Australia and New Zealand, the likes of Stormzy, Sampha, Jamie XX, Little Sims, Nao, Kamal Williams, Object. We represent about 120 artists here um, on the international front. And then we also have um, Astral People Recordings, which is a uh, part of the co-op umbrella of the PS labels. It's the first Australian label to be part of that co-op of labels with PS. Um, and PS are the biggest global distributor. They, they under their co-op labels, they have great labels such as Transgressive, Mute, DFA, Recordings, and more. Um, and then we've also got a publishing arm um, that we do in a JV with BMG, who are the biggest independent publisher and the fourth biggest publisher in the world. And uh, other than that as, as well, we've got an events and festival arm. So back in the day, we used to run a festival called Outside In Festival. We also have run the Summer Dance uh, series. Um, we've also got Last Dance New Year's Eve. Um, and besides that, we've been known to curate nights and stages for events and festivals such as Vivid Live, Subsonic, Strawberry Fields, and many more. So basically, in short, we're very busy. It sounds like it. That was an extensive <laughs> list. And yeah. I am I am astounded at your ability to just get through that word after word <laughs> after word. This is a man who takes pride in the artists he works with and knows every single one of them. That was, that was stunning. Yeah. <laughs> um, now, the question I wanted to ask you, Vic, is... You know, on your website, it says that you got started at a pizza joint in 2011 and it's been nine years and you've you've done the hard yards clearly to bring it up to this point. You know, was this your entry point into the music business? What led you to starting Astral People? Okay, so I actually was doing a health science degree at university. I had aspirations to become a physiotherapist. Um, so long story short, I am in a completely uh, different industry now, which is great. Um, but during my time of studying health science at Uni New South Wales, um, I, you know, started promoting a lot of clubs. Um, and so basically I, w- I would earn my living from 
promoting at various clubs on Oxford Street, in King's Cross and elsewhere. Um, I would also um, make decent commission of selling tickets to festivals. Through these sort of kind of, I guess, odd jobs, I kind of developed a real passion and love for, for dance music and, and, you know, especially like, you know, club culture. Um, and then because of my kind of connections in, in that world, while I was still studying at uni and doing this weird health science degree that I really had no care about at all, a couple of uh, artists asked me if I wanted to do their bookings and, um, you know, maybe manage them as well. i got to say at the time I had absolutely no idea about artist management or touring. Um, I did run a few parties that lost a ton of money, <laughs> as you do when you're younger. Yep. And, yeah, from there I um, developed this real passion for it. And then Tom, my business partner, um, had these ideas of starting up an artist management company and asked me if I wanted to join. And I remember sitting there um, on the library lawn. I had just completed my degree um, in health science. I had just about to hand in my master's application for physiotherapy. And I decided, hey, I'm going to go start this music company with this guy, Tom. Um, and, you know, nine, nine and a half years later, here we are. No, that's fantastic. And I mean, it's always very interesting looking at people like yourself who have degrees and formal education in things other than what they end up in and the skill sets that you can then bring from other aspects of education. You know, I think particularly given a lot of the, at least my experience with the health industry, there's a lot of very high pressure time management skills that exactly. you learn going exactly. through that process that I imagine are invaluable to you now. It's, it's really nice to hear you say that, Felix, because you couldn't be more right. And and when I look back on it, a lot of friends it's, and, and family even have come up to me and said, do you consider your degree a waste of time? You know, you spent five years getting it. And I was like, absolutely not. The one thing that university has taught me that has that I've carried uh, over the, you know, the next nine and a half years of Astral People is simply work ethic and time management. As, as someone that runs their own, you know, company, it's easy to feel a little bit lazy some days. I might take this day off or I might, you know, sit back and relax a little bit on this day. It just wasn't the case. Even in those early days of Astral People when we didn't actually have enough work to, to fulfill, you know, a full eight, nine hour day, I would spend every minute, spare minute that I had to research about the, you know, the industry that I was getting into, to read different books about business and about music, about management, all sorts of things that came from being at university and being especially like under those sort of like stressful environments. Anyone that knows going into like a big exam period at university, it's stressful. You're up late, mm. you're up all hours in the morning and it's, it's helped me to deal with those stressful scenarios so much better, you know, not just being able to cope with it, but getting getting through it and, and, be, and being pragmatic in those situations. It probably wasn't the smartest idea in hindsight to drop everything and just jump into this business. But I think in a weird way, it kind of it, it kind of forced this sink or swim scenario on me where I basically had to make it work. Put it this way, to a lot of Sri Lankan parents, the music industry is a very taboo, a taboo, you know, industry. <laughs> um, and so it, was, it wasn't easy, you know, getting them to come around. Um, mm. But yeah, I, I think my philosophy was very much carry on that university mentality and bring that into astral people and basically treat it like a full-time job yeah. and, and trying to better yourself and better your skills and better your knowledge because that's only going to lead to better results in the future. Yeah. Now, obviously, we're aiming this podcast kind of towards people who are getting started in music, who aren't really sure maybe of the direction that they want to go in terms of taking their career in music. Now, when you would look at a new artist and they are getting started in the industry, what is the importance of someone in your role to them and what can they learn from how you've kind of taken your career to help them get that foot in the door to get their career off the ground? Well, look, first and foremost, I think the, the, the biggest 
positive about having a management is being able to utilize their connections in the industry, which is very, you know, it is one of those industries that it very much depends on their on connections and also just experience. Like, you know, we have worked through hundreds of different campaigns, singles, albums, EPs, um, with, with, with various artists across various genres and scenes. Um, and I guess for us, it's very much about, you know, when we start with an artist, setting up a solid timeline, setting up a, a, a list of goals that we're both succinct with. Um, I think it's very important that, you know, by utilizing someone like us, that any artist will get the most out of their career just because we can provide that, I guess, that little bit of a leg up and I guess that little bit of, um, you know, that initial bit of growth because it, it is hard for artists to come out of the gates and find these connections, it's it's very much about like, you know, the, the manager is at the center of, I guess, that artist's career to allow the artist to do what they do best, which is just make music. And I think that's a great point is that the artist is still there to kind of make the music and having a team behind it lets, you know, them focus on that. Their work goes from doing all of the behind the scenes work that a team like Astral People is fantastic on and lets them focus on just making the best art they can. Exactly, yeah. How can people find a, a good manager manager and you know how can they tell that whether or not it's the right fit for them i would say the best thing for a young artist if you're starting out was actually have a good understanding of the industry and have a good understanding of these things like contracts and invoices and you know timelines and setting goals for yourself the best artists that i've worked with are ones that have a very good understanding or at least a good base level understanding of these skills in in the industry and i feel like those are the ones that are going to benefit the most from having a manager and they'll be able to pick out which managers are the good ones and the bad ones because they'll already have a base understanding of what it means to have treat this music career as a job. If there are artists that you aspire to be like or that you see are relevant to you, see who their manager is, maybe drop them a line. Normally, like even with me, when I pick up a new artist, it's very much like, hey, let's see how this works for six months. And that's a good time for both the manager and artist to see how they work together, um, to see if they're in, in, um, in cohesion with each other. Um, and, you know, hopefully if, if all the, everything goes well after that six months, then you can kind of look to uh, progress the uh, relationship. Yeah. And I think even then having that foot in the door and making the connection with that manager, that isn't then, you know, the end of the line if it doesn't work out. Because as you say, you have many connections that you can redirect them where you think is most appropriate. Exactly right. So I think that's that, that's the main thing is like, you know, keep keep making your music, but also have a base level understanding of the industry and the processes behind it. And I think once you have that, and then once you reach out to a manager, you know, whether or not they take it on or not, at least then that gives you the confidence to keep, you know, keep at it. For me, I find one of the most appealing things I find about an artist is actually, hey, they've got a great understanding of what's going on here. This is going to be nice and easy. Or it's not like, oh, yeah. I've got to start from, you know, ground level up again and build this up and teach, teach them about literally every single step along the way. Like, you know, it, it, it does really count for something. And obviously, I think it can be a bit intimidating, you know, the way that you put it looking at back at your university education, having to do all of this research and putting in all of the hours, the full-time work to make a career in music. If you were, say, a musician who just wants to gig on the weekends and make a bit of cash on the side, is it still worth having a manager? Or is that something that maybe, you know, should be left to the side if you just want to keep it as a, a side job? You should only really have a manager if you want to make music your absolute long life career. And that's, you know, there's no point of you, you know, giving up the regular 20% of your all your income to a manager if you're just hoping to just gig around Sydney for the rest of your life. There's actually just no point. The only reason that you should want a manager is if you see yourself selling thousands of tickets one day, 
touring the world um, and needing an extended team to really be able to do that. If your if your goals are just to stay local, then you can just handle that yourself. And hey, keep that twenty percent. Yeah, and I think you know, obviously, even if you do keep it local, it is still worth getting in touch with managers and just people in management in general, so that you can get a better idea of how to do it best, even if it is in the local space. Exactly right. So look, I host a number of talks in the past with for various colleges and and do things like this with you, Felix. Um, and 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 the one thing I, I see is like you know, sometimes I see the same artists popping up at all these sort of talks. And and I find that really interesting because they obviously are trying to gain an understanding for them to exist as an artist, to exist as a business without having a manager. And I think no matter what stage you're at, it's very important that you learn to do that. Whether you take on a manager or not, it's still important that you develop those skills for yourself to know how to run your own business before even a manager comes along. For sure. How does working as a label like Astral People, largely focused with Australian artists, how has that changed given the way that music has become so much more accessible with modern technology? The main thing I could say about how label setups are changing is that most artists and most managers like myself are now looking for more flexible deals. And and, a lo- and I guess the term for these more flexible deals are artist services deals. You know, back in the day, it was like very much like a label signs that you guys agree on the uh, a split um, of the you know the income from the music generated. They might throw in an advance and 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 whatnot, and away you guys go. And there's a term, um, you know, with however many years it lasts for, however many years the label owns your masters for. Now, these days, you don't need to give up your masters. You don't need to give up those rights. You can actually maintain all your rights yourself and just have the music distributed on you know channels through whether it be you know distribution services like. TuneCore or Cobalt AWOL or The Orchard or there's many out there or Believe. These days, that's where artists are tending to go because they want more flexible setups. They can do the promotion, especially with what social media is today. And all they're really wanting is that you're getting your, you know, the music in the right places and you're PRing it and you're radioing it. I'm looking to take a lot of my artists into deals like that. Having said that, when an artist gets to a certain level and they need that big major label money and the connections backing them to really take them to that superstar level, then I would say yes. Then you, then then that there is an importance in in going with a label and having on ground teams in every single territory around the world and stuff. But I think starting out, if you've got a great brand and a great online presence and you can just find yourself a decent distributor to get the music in the right channels and they take a lesser cut, go for it. Yeah, I think that's a really fascinating opportunity. I know particularly a few bands that I've been fans of that have actually departed from formal contracts with their labels to take up those opportunities and have really just, you know, seen a growth in the flexibility of how they're able to present their product with that. And it's really great that that opportunity now exists rather than being, I guess, the black sheep that it used to be. Right. So those opportunities now now exist. And if anything, you look at like, I mean, a perfect example would be Sony um, and how much effort and investment they're putting behind the Orchard, which is their kind of label services arm. It's kind of like having a label team behind it, you know, without the full team. If you need a little bit more money from the Orchard or, or any sort of distribution, you can be like, hey, guys, the single's performing well. I need a bit more money so I can get a UK publicist or a radio plugger. You can have a little bit more of a split on, say, this song or this release. That flexibility is something that I feel like is the biggest change in label services and label uh, deals um, over the last few years. And that's where I think there's been a huge industry shift towards these sort of setups. 
Yeah. And you obviously being a part of those big shifts, dealing with very local artists and your very active style of management, how do you think local music can kind of stand up and what does Australia have a leg up on compared to the rest of the world when it comes to the kind of music that we make here? Well, I think it's it, the great thing about being from Australia is that you don't get caught up in the trends very easily. Um, and, you know, say in, in America, it's all about urban hip hop dominates the charts there. In, in the UK, it's very much like, you know, a, a lot of R and, you know, moody R&B, grime. Um, I think in Australia, it's really great because you kind of get this whole plethora of different, you know, genres and different artists popping up all the time from all different scenes. Um, and, you know, we do certain things really well. Like I would say right now, such an exciting time for Australian music, especially overseas, because the, the sounds that are coming out of Australia, it's progressive, it's new, it's it's current. And um, and I just, feel, I just feel like we're in this great position where there's about to be a big boom of uh, local success stories overseas. Um, and, and look, it's, it's incredible to be a part of it. And particularly when it comes to Australian artists making it overseas, obviously the scene's really different at the moment but when you are getting started and you know getting into shows working with labels like yourself how much should an artist be focusing on local shows as opposed to touring do you want to completely solidify yourself as a name within australia before you even head overseas or do you want to try just hit the world at once i i think it's it's there's two side, two ways to look at it, but look, I think the main thing is definitely you want to create buzz and you want to create a story here locally. Now, the reason I say that is because when you look at, like, say, radio stations overseas, say, take BBC, for example, take even, like, you know, Beats 1, Apple Music, for example, they want to buy into an artist's story. Now, if an artist doesn't have any sort of story here in Australia, that's not very appeasing. That's not very, like, you know, uh, that's not going to you know, cause anyone to jump out of their seats, you know, unless the music's like brilliant. The majority of artists that have blown up overseas have done so first in Australia, made a name for themselves here, established a brand here, developed their live show here, developed their music here, and then they took it internationally. Yeah. And it's also very interesting looking at how artists are able to make, you know, a full career out of music just within Australia until those opportunities start to appear. It's not as though missing out on a festival in the United States is going to bankrupt you. It's just something that may be later down the path for you. Yeah, exactly right. And that's the thing as well. I think I have seen a lot of projects become, you know, basically come to an end because bands have jumped too early to tour overseas. And that's because touring overseas is extremely expensive, especially in the US where you have to pay thousands and thousands of dollars in visa fees. My advice would be, Unless you know the demand is there overseas, do not go. Build here, keep building here, keep making a name for yourself. And hey, if you've got $200,000 sitting in the kitty and you can, you can afford to lose 30, 40 grand to go tour overseas to try and make a name for yourself, that's another story. Pick your time, pick the right moment, pick when it makes sense and have enough capital. So if it doesn't go so well, it doesn't bankrupt you and send you on a downward spiral, which I've seen happen way too many times. Speaking of, you know, the finances of traveling overseas, one thing that I've heard a lot of artists talk about recently is the alternate income that they make. When it comes to, you know, treating music as a job and this very full-time focus that you and Astral People particularly focus on, how much time do you think bands are putting into, at least on your roster, the uh, the alternative income, or is that mostly managed by the label? That's a great question. It is managed by both. Now, the label would you know come up with some ideas about branded content, but more often than not, it comes from the manager. It comes from the artist, and knowing how to navigate those opportunities 
is is crucial to you know ensuring that you do make more you know more money. I would definitely say that you should be thinking about your project as a brand. It's very important to establish these other avenues of income, whether it be merch or or physical sales or. Uh, looking into sync or looking into working with a publisher or co-writing opportunities. It's very important to one, understand these and two, establish these for yourself because it's always harder to kind of play catch up later in your career. Right now, at Astral people, perfect example, during this downtime, during this COVID period, we're actually going through the back end of all our, you know, going through the back end of all our artist releases and, and songs and making sure that every single song that they've ever written on or if they're producing something for another artist is registered correctly. We're making sure that everything's up to date on APRA and PPCA. And these are just good habits to get into from the very get go. Let me tell you right now with my artist, it adds up. And, you know, two grand, you know, something that, that, Couple hundred bucks, you know, turns into two grand in in in, in a couple of years' time, and just when you think you're going broke, two grand comes into your account from Apple, and you're like, "Sweet, I'm all right again." The, the label will come up with opportunities, but I do think it's really important that the artist is able to kind of, you know, understand those opportunities and navigate them and know what those opportunities are actually worth for themselves. You know, whether it be with their, along with their manager, or if they're just unmanaged. Yeah, and I think you make a really fantastic point in there about going through your backlog because I suppose the simplest way to put it is that a system is never going to get more efficient through inaction. So that 100 bucks that you're missing out on every month from a sale is not going to become 99 bucks the next month. It's going to become 105 bucks. So the amount that you're actually missing out on starts to grow rather than decrease. And that's why it's good to take opportunities like this to go back and optimize the work that you may have missed out on, which I think yeah. Yeah, a fantastic um, point you've made there. To- totally. It is this is the time, <laughs> this downtime for us as actual people is the time of getting all our back end completely up to date. We're all humans and we register things in a human way. And with that comes mistakes. And so it is important to take some time, say every, you know, six months, just to go through your back end and making sure that every co- royalty collection body is completely up to date with all your works that you've made and all the information in there is correct. Because right now, all that money that you're missing out on is just sitting there. It's just sitting in these royalty collection bodies, earning heaps of interest probably for them, um, and w- w- waiting to get paid out to the artists. So it's sitting there. You might, it's your job to go and find it. I mean, just uh, just a couple of days ago, my father sent me a message saying, I've just received you know a tax payout from the 1980s <laughs> from the Northern Territory government. And yeah. it's like, it's good that he finally took the opportunity to go and lay that out because those things are out there somewhere if you look hard enough. Exactly. The money's just sitting there somewhere. Um, and yeah. yeah it's, it's our job to find, find it. No one's going to come and give it to us on a silver platter. And then obviously most artists, a lot of their quote unquote research has gone into actually making their music, refining their style, learning who uh, who they want to be artistically. How important is it for artists to get their their sound right before approaching a manager? You know, should you spend a few years in the game kind of working on your sound or is it important to just have a sound and approach a manager with a bit of a flexible vision and be ready to develop? No, I think it is very important to have a good vision going to a manager. I think I definitely think so. I think, I think again, what attracts me to new artists that approach us is that artist that has a very clear vision of exactly who you are as an artist and where you want to go and what your sound is and what sets you apart from other artists in the industry um, and in the scene um, and then also being open to change and have being flexible 
Somewhere in between there is a great debut artist. And then as a, as a manager, how much are you looking at bands' recorded work versus their live shows? Because with, you know, some artists having a very scrappy sounding recording, but a perfected live show, is that more or less important to you? And should there be a focus in your balance there or just play to your strengths? Today, the live show is just as important as the music itself. Now, when I talked to, when I said earlier that music is only one part, the live show is absolutely critical. Now, if you had asked me the same question, Felix, five years ago, I would have said, actually, no, you could just get a, a song added to Triple J and then suddenly you could sell out five to 600 tickets in every city in Australia. That was just the market. No matter how you played that song, you could stand there with a bloody laptop and press play, which, which <laughs> let, me, let me tell you right now, a lot of artists bloody did back then. Yeah. But now, these days, people aren't, you know, the, the, the fans, they want a proper live show. They want to build their live show. And the funny thing is, the bigger and bigger an artist gets, we find ourselves as managers and the, and big, with bigger artists, say with Winston Searchert or Cosmos Midnight, two of our bigger artists, we're investing more and more into their live shows. It becomes an expensive thing, but it's so critical because at the end of the day, we charge $50 a ticket. Now, back in the day, people will pay $50 a ticket just to, just to you know, just off a song they heard on radio, but that's just not the case anymore. So as you're making the music, think of the live show, make it just as important as the uh, music because, hey, even if the music isn't so good and the live show's killer, that can be the thing that could, you know, sell any fan to cross over and become fans of the music itself. So, um, for any new artists out there, I will definitely say invest in your live show, make it an absolute priority. Mm, that's that's really interesting. I, I'm I'm very interested uh, in what you think has caused that change over the last five years. Because to my mind, if anything, I would have thought it would have gone the other way a bit more because of how accessible music recordings have become. Yeah, look, I I think I, to be honest, I think it's just that there are so many artists and new artists bubbling all the time. People these days, they just want to cut through the crap. And, and the way they do that is through the live show. And what will differentiate you to other artists in the market is your live show, the strength of your live show. Yeah. And I also suppose when it comes to the accessibility of recordings online, that has also meant that live shows have become one of the things that is accessible, you know, be it ripped fan cams from that one asshole standing in the audience with his cell phone in front of you the entire time, or the professionally shot concert recordings. People are able to, you know, discover something special about your live show without even going there, which then creates more buzz for when they do show up in your town. Exactly right. Couldn't have said it better myself. You know, this is, we're living in the you know the iPhone generation. People are filming things on the go all the time at live gigs. This is just the climate we live in. And, you know, live is everything and, and live means so much to fans now and they're willing to depart with their, you know, the, the, whatever disposable income they have to see good quality live performances. Right now, there's so much activity. There's so many new artists coming all the time. The things that they're going to pick to spend their money on are the ones that are of the highest quality. And I think that's a great point to end on, the fact that it is the highest quality things that people are still clawing for, even if the reputation is that, oh, you know, it's that corporate mess that keeps getting through. <laughs> people still reach for that quality, especially in the local scene and especially for more engaged communities. So Vic, thank you so much for joining us here on Get Gig Ready today. Absolute pleasure, Felix. Thanks for having me. Get Gig Ready is presented by City of Ride, Lane Cove Council, the Live Music Office, Music New South Wales, and 2SER with support from Macquarie University. My name is Felix Shannon, and I will see you on the next episode of Get Gig Ready. Let's throw it over to our feature artist this week, last Thursday. Hey guys, it's Ewan. Jono. Harry. Jasper. And Christian. From last Thursday. This one is called Always Happy, and... This, this is, is a song about a relationship, relationship that wasn't good. good.
It's Ewan and Jasper from last Thursday. That one you just heard is Always Happy, our single from last year. We're writing and recording our new EP, which will be out in the next 12 months. We're super excited to bring the new EP to you guys and ride. Myself and the drummer go to uni at Macquarie, and we played a couple gigs there before, and we really enjoyed playing to you guys live up there. Anyway, we've been last Thursday on Get Gig Ready.